0: Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. So, I'm so honored. Deb, thank you for asking me to speak today. I'm going to prepare you. Um, Preparing this message today, I probably (laughs) burst into happy tears probably 20 to 25 times. (laughs) So, I have a tissue. So, if... If if I do, it's it's good. It's a good thing. Can we start in prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for every woman here. They are precious in your sight. I thank you today. Your words are spoken, not mine, and your Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear and to take your truth and to become more like you with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, first I'm gonna start by asking you a question. And you can raise your hand and answer. I just want to know what is your favorite thing about Jesus? What what do you love about Jesus? Yes. That he loves you. Yeah. Yes, Brittany. So good, He's provider. Yes, his kindness, so kind, so tender. Yes. No matter how much I ever judged. Yeah. Yeah. He says the father gave him all judgment, but what does he do? Just come here. I forgive you. I love you. Yes, Michelle. He saves us. Yes. I know. It's, it's everything's the biggest thing. His love. He saved us. It, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's complete. Yes. Yeah, somebody over here? Yes, Mia. No Woo! Come on, Miss Bessie He's no respecter of persons, yes. He is never early. Never. <laughs> never <laughs> That's beautiful. Anybody yes, ma'am. He sits us free. He sets us free and he humbled himself. He's God. He didn't have to do anything. He left left heavenly places. Okay, I'll take one. I see one more hand. I'll take one more. Yes. He'll never reject you. He doesn't reject you. Yeah. So, right, he's healer, he's redeemer, he's savior, he's Lord, he's kind, he's good. I mean, wow. I mean, the, the list is endless, isn't it? Well, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite things about Jesus today. And that's the way he treated people his treatment of people, but specifically the way he treated women. So what was the culture like back in the day, back in the day of Jesus, right? You had the Greeks and then the Romans, and then in that Roman culture, the the Jews were in that Roman culture. How were women treated in that day? Well? No, correct. You are all correct. You all aced history. Uh, No, the Greeks were one of the most savage cultures to women ever. And then the Romans came along, and they did a little better, but they still weren't great. Um, As a whole, women were treated like property. Um, They were treated like objects. Prostitution was rampant. Uh, Girls were taken from their family's home if they were given off in marriage, and they had to leave everything. They left their family. They left their history. They left everything, and they had to just now have a new life. Often didn't even see their old families again. They went from one guardianship to the other. Um, And in the Jewish culture, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Women were very much segregated and excluded. Um, There there was a, a rabbinical saying that said, Rather two Jewish men than a hundred Jewish women, which which puts the value of a woman at about 2% of that of a man. I know you could shake your head, isn't that right? <laughs> um, they were sectioned off and walled off even to come to the temple. They couldn't be in the same place in the temple. There were walls that separated them. Um there was a common Jewish prayer that all good Jewish men would say and one of the lines was thank God you did not make me a woman. So I'm trying to think if like that was if Scott said that every morning if that was part of his prayer like <laughs> right? Because one was thank God you have not made me a slave. Well a slave can be free. Right? Thank God you have not made me a woman what am I supposed to do? I can't change that. So misogyny and abuse and injustice and neglect were rampant in the culture that Jesus comes into. And that was the treatment of women at that time. And is is this a reality for some women on the planet today? Yeah, it is a reality for many women on the planet today. So, good news. Jesus comes on the scene in this culture, and he is revolutionary. He's revolutionary. And his arms are outstretched. And you know why? It's amazing because he came for man, for woman, for child. Right? Even let the little children come to me. Children didn't come. No. Children seen and not heard. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. He loves. He loves everybody. Jesus is for everyone. He doesn't discriminate based on gender or race or social class or age. He doesn't discriminate. Without bias, he sets people free from bondage and from sin. He also sets us free from the consequences of sin. And I think those consequences are what led us to that corrupt, corrupt culture. That was against women today, a corrupt culture that can tend to be against women. And time and time again, he restores everyone's identity and personhood. That's what he does. So Jesus' first miracle is at the wedding at Cana. Do y'all remember this one? And so I love it so much because, of course, he turns the water into wine, but that's not the best part. That's not the best part. To me, to me, be, because let me ask you, did, does he do this to reveal himself as the Messiah? No. No, he doesn't. Why does he do this? Because his, his mom asked him to. I, lo- I love this group of women. You know exactly what's happening. <laughs> so, he's at the wedding. The mama says, Jesus, fix this problem. Fix the problem. And he, he tries to pull the God card on her. <laughs> He's kind of like, Mom, I don't know if you remember, uh, but I'm kind of God, and um, my time has not yet come. And she's like, Are you kidding me? I birthed you in a stable with a sheep this close to my face. You're not doing that. And so... Her next words after he says, it's not my time, is, do whatever he tells you to do. And I love that. I love it so much. She's like, she doesn't even address the fact he just said that. She just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says to do because he's about to fix this. And out of love and honor for his mother, who he called dear woman so many times in Scripture, he does what it wasn't his time to do. Because he loves her. And then later on, there's another story. Of course, you know the story of of Lazarus. And Jesus is is late. Lazarus is dead. (laughs) And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are not happy. And they're sad. And they're saying, Lord, if only you'd been here. And Mary is weeping. And Jesus, this is fascinating to me. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows he's going to get there, and he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is going to, one of the greatest miracles of all time, dead four days, coming back. Well, Mary and Martha and all the people there don't know that, and they're weeping as they walk to where Lazarus is buried. And what does Jesus do as he walks? He weeps with them because their grief is his grief, and their hurt is his hurt. And he doesn't say "Everybody, settle down. It's about to get better. He just weeps with them. Isn't that just a picture for us? When someone's crying, Cry, just be there with them. Be like Jesus. And then, boom, something great, you know? God's always ready to bring dead things to life. But there's a time for compassion and tenderness. Anyway... But this is not, I mean, this is Jesus just revealing the heart of God. God's heart for women. And this is found all the way back in in Genesis, in creation. God created Eve to be Adam's other half, right? And to tend the garden together in unity. And here's the scripture in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him you know that scripture you've read it the word translated into helper from the original hebrew is very different from helper in our bible it's your bible might say helper or it might say helpmeet or it might say helpmate and often in our culture how we've been taught is women are helpers <laughs> right you're a helper, and you, you help the man. And uh, it does mean that. But I want to tell you what the Hebrew meaning really means, because it's a lot deeper than our English word. So uh, it's two words in Hebrew. It's ezer konegdo, ezer konegdo, And hopefully no one knows Hebrew, and you think I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> the first word is ezer which you've probably heard before, it signifies the stronger helping the weaker. That's what Ezer, and it's used over a dozen times to describe God. God is our Ezer. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. He's our Ezer. So Eve is described as Adam's Ezer, a helper stronger and more powerful than him. I know.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You just meditate on that for a second. <laughs> so literally, the word for Ezra means lifesaver and rescuer. Wow. Right? That's just the first half. Wow. Now, if that was the only thing it said about Eve, obviously women would be superior to men. That's it. Women are the Ezra. They're the stronger. But, <laughs> Konegdo is a word that qualifies this word. And connecto is a word that means to face the front of, the mirror image of, or equal. the equal. And so, the two together is a powerful ally of equality. That's what ezer konegdo really means. So... She are not superior. She wasn't superior. She was the perfect, powerful ally, equal to him. So God's command to tend the garden is directed to who? To him or to them? Okay. To them. It's, it's to them both. His intention for human beings was to have dominion over the earth, not in masculine rule but the alliance of masculine and feminine, a perfect, shared, unified rule. And only after the fall does that break, and does, do we lose that. So sin enters the garden, and they're not only separated from God, but that perfect oneness and that shared rule and that unity that was like the unity that the Trinity is defined by that perfect oneness is broken, and that equal co-leadership in Eden is obliterated, and then there's a rift between the male and the female for thousands of years, right? That's what happens. But I want to tell you, just to remind you, gender-based hierarchy wasn't in the garden. It happened after the fall. So what are some of the lingering consequences in the world? Can you think of cultures, especially non-Christian cultures, that are dominated by ungodly men, how the women are treated in those cultures, what they force the women to do, right? It's, it's bondage, <laughs> and it's injustice, and it's sin. And even in our culture, I mean, is, it's like you couldn't ask... A better time to be a woman than now in the United States. I mean, right? We are. Considering the entire expanse of the world, where we are, the time that we're in, this is privileged compared to so many other people. But even now, feminist movements, right, are fighting the imbalances that they see. But can they really change it? I would say no. I would say no because no movement can fight sin because inequality is sin, injustice is sin, and the only answer to sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. So the more people that have a revelation of the gospel, which crushes injustice and crushes inequality, that's what will change the world. That's what will change the community. And Jesus models equality perfectly. Perfectly in his actions, and in his words. So we're going to go through some of the things Jesus did that just make me cry. Okay, here I go. First, Jesus says, all are welcome. All are welcome. If you... Whoo!
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> that sounds loud. And if you look in Scripture, anywhere Jesus is, there's a crowd of people, and in that crowd of people, there's women. There's women. There's groups of women that followed him. Uh, they're in Galilee, and they're present in his parables and in his teachings. Did you know that Jesus would teach at the temple? He would stay at the outer courts so that the women could hear him, because if he would have gone inside and been, you know, in the men's walled area they couldn't have heard him so he always stayed in a place where women could interact with him because all were welcome with jesus Um, even the place for uh the pupil of a rabbi that was a man men were supposed to be the pupils of rabbis and the most uh devout place a pupil could sit was at a rabbi's feet and who do you remember sitting at the feet of the rabbi jesus And learning from him, Mary. Mary, oh, that wasn't allowed. Women weren't sitting at the rabbi's feet and learning. But there was Mary who loved him. And Jesus not only allowed it, whenever Martha comes in and says, hey, I need help. We're doing stuff. What does Jesus say? First, he says, Martha, Martha. And he says her name twice, which I love because (laughs) he loves her so much. Martha, Martha, you're worried about a lot of stuff. That Mary has chosen what's best, and it will not be taken from her. He's telling Martha so many things in that sentence, but one of them is, you have the choice. All women have the choice to learn and sit at my feet without exclusion. And what she's chosen, even though culture says she can't, it will not be taken from her. That's Jesus. Um, okay, all are welcome. Jesus also says all are equal. And I'm going to read a passage to you um, about a woman healed on the Sabbath. Jesus loved to heal people on the Sabbath. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It's like sometimes he just waited for the Sabbath and then started healing people. because It just ruffled the feathers of the Pharisees so much they couldn't stand it. Uh, so this is one of those situations. And uh, it's it's a woman who's in a lot of pain, and Jesus does his awesome thing that he does, um, and that is in verse, so I'm reading out of Luke 13:10. Jesus heals a crippled woman, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, remember, he's out where everybody can hear him, and a woman who was there, who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. 18 years of chronic pain. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and because he had healed a woman, probably, uh, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days to work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all the opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. What I want to point out here is Jesus calls this woman something very special. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. And this is the first time anyone had ever used this phrase. This was not a Jewish phrase. In fact, the Jews used the phrase son of Abraham. All the men were sons of Abraham. They never called the woman a daughter of Abraham. And Jesus says, by calling her a daughter of Abraham, that heritage, the heir that you have is hers. She's equal to you. Such a beautiful daughter of Abraham. Mm, Jesus, I love you. Then... um, do you know what the longest recorded private conversation Jesus had with anyone in the Bible is? Mm-hmm. It's the woman at the well. The longest conversation Jesus has that we know of in scripture that's recorded is the woman at the well. Not only a woman, a Samaritan woman. And this passage, this story, it's it's in John 4. I'm not going to read it to you, but maybe just take some time and read it this week because it's such a beautiful exchange. I mean, sh- this woman is unworthy on so many levels. Samaritan woman, unmarried, living with somebody, <laughs> quite a history. And Jesus approaches her and speaks to her and asks her for a drink. And I don't even think he was asking for water. He was asking for her heart. And she responds and engages him and asks him questions. And she is the first person that he reveals he is the Messiah to. A Samaritan woman. And she is the first evangelist in scripture. She goes off and she tells everybody. And it says many Samaritans came to believe because of her. Jesus says all are equal. Lastly, Jesus says all are essential. Everyone is essential. How did he get here? He was born of a virgin woman. I mean, isn't that kind of God saying, see, man? We don't need you. No, no. No, all are equal. Everybody's equal. Everybody's essential. But see, Jesus is countercultural. He's countercultural. Because really, back in that day, men thought they were kind of all that was needed for even having children. Like, everything was there, and the woman was the soil. It wasn't until, like... 1834, that they realized how things work. 1834! <laughs> I won't go into that. <laughs> Jesus says everyone's essential. Everyone. He was born of a woman. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, it was customary for the anointing of oil to ordain. Do you remember Samuel ordained David in a secret ceremony so that Saul wouldn't find out but Samuel anointed David to be the king. And and Jesus, do you know he's anointed for ministry as well? Who anoints him? Right. So there's actually an anointing account in all four Gospels. And some people say it's all the same one, and some people say it's two different ones. But I'm going to specifically focus on uh, Mary anointing Jesus at Bethany. And she, of course anoints him and then everybody's kind of like this oil could be spent to do something to feed the poor and Jesus is like Shh, no 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 she has blessed me and honored me and what she's done will be known for all time it'll be known for all time she anointed him with oil John the Baptist baptized him but a woman anointed him for his ministry work women we're at the trials, the women that followed Jesus, were at the crucifixion. Only John stayed, but, but there were women. The group of women were there. It lists the women. They were present at his burial. And who were the first to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The women. Who is the first person Jesus speaks to? It's Mary Magdalene he says, he says, Mary. She's like, (laughs) no. And he says, don't hold me. Can you imagine? She's like, like, not yet. Go and tell everybody. She's the first person that hears the words. Go and tell. She's the first person. And really, if you think about all the religions of the world, the thing that separates Christianity besides the fact that it's the only one that's true, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And who did he trust that life-changing, pivotal news to? The women. Because the women believed and the women told. Everyone is essential. Jesus says this beautiful phrase in John six thirty-seven: All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away because Jesus loves people. He loves all people with everything that's in him. So how how does this affect us? Because what I want this to do is just rekindle in you, your identity in him, how much he loves you, how he sees you. Because once you know how he sees you, it changes how you see other people. That's why this is important. So I want you to remember you are the reason he came. Your value is incomparable. Your creation was divine and appointed for this time and this place. He knew you in your mother's womb. He gave you giftings and abilities. So three things I want you to know about you. You are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome despite a world of class systems and stereotypes and racism and gender bias. Remember, you belong to a different world. You operate under a different law and a different covenant. Do not feel excluded and do not feel outcast because you are royalty in the kingdom of God. Royalty. You're a daughter of the king. Say, I am a daughter of the king. king. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. There is a place for you in the body of Christ. There is a place for you at this church. There is a place for you. In fact, no one can take your place. You are irreplaceable. Number two, you are equal. You're no one's property. You're no one's possession. And no one gets to define you except your creator who says you are his child. You're his child. You're infinitely valued. You're infinitely treasured. You know, there's no hierarchy between genders in the kingdom of God. In fact, there is a high call. Jesus says, here it is, to be the servant of all. Do you know what happens to hierarchy and gender bias when everyone is being the servant of all? There's mutual respect, there's mutual submission, and there's unity. That's what happens. When each of us are just trying to outserve the other, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom way. Number three, you are essential. God placed you. In you a uniqueness that the world needed. So do not hide your gifts. Do not disregard your dreams. Your greatest days are ahead of you. Your greatest days are ahead of you. Your greatest moments are ahead of you. You were called to be a disciple. You were called to seize the vision God placed in your heart. You were called... To rescue and restore, you are the Ezer Konegdo, the powerful ally, a rescuer, a restorer. You are not average, although you may have made average grades. (laughs) Or maybe you've never excelled in that skill like you hoped. You're not average. You are not irrelevant, although you may have been overlooked or your ideas may have been disregarded or your thoughts may have been ignored or your feelings. You're not irrelevant. You are not a victim, although you may have been victimized or ridiculed or betrayed. Trying situations and hardships, they want to break you, but do not allow them to. Do not let them take hold of your identity. Choose the better thing. Choose what Mary did. Mary sat at the master's feet. And that's where we place everything the world tries to say that you are. That's where we place it. And then we listen to Jesus and we lean in to see what he says. He calls you daughter, redeemed, beloved, disciple, world changer. God brings beauty to ashes every time. He's the perfect potter to your clay. So we let him create in us because we are essential. So, now that you're overwhelmed with how much the Lord loves you, (laughs) you have a responsibility. And here is our responsibility, oh, beloved, treasured children of God, to love others as Christ loves us. And those are big words. How do we do that? We welcome others because we know we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are light in darkness. So, men and women of God are to welcome others because the gospel is the best message of all time, is it not? It's the greatest news. How do we do that? We make a place at our table. We make time in our schedule. We make a place in our heart to share it with others. We welcome them. Number two, we treat others as equals. Do you want to start a culture of mutual respect? Respect everybody. And sometimes this is hard. I have found, I will tell you this, I have found when I offer my children respect, that I might not think they deserve because I'm their parent and they're the kid. When I offer my children respect, they offer me respect. They model what they see. They're little mimics. So that's a lesson God showed me. I'm less quick to say, you know, Do what I say, because I said so, and I could. I have a right to say that. But when I say, I want you to do this, and I take the time to teach them that because I I know this is best for them, because if I take that time, I never hear why about that subject ever again. It actually saves me time later. (laughs) Mason is full of questions. Do we treat others as equals from our family to our friends to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to non-Christians to the person sitting next to you on the plane or in front of you in the grocery checkout? How do we bestow value on someone? How do we bestow them value? Because they are his beloved. Right? Kindness. Consideration in manner and in time, generosity, understanding, helpfulness. And lastly, we encourage the essential in one another. And notice I'm not just saying encourage the essential in women, in everybody, right? We encourage the essential in everyone. And I love this. We need to establish this culture where, where we celebrate other people's giftings and their ideas and their efforts, and we support Christ-like vision, and we champion the righteous causes of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We find the essential in someone. And a lot of times the most difficult person in your life, they're just waiting for someone to mine the essential within them. Yeah, good. They, don't, they don't know they have it. You can help them find that and change their life. So we'll remember how precious Jesus was, how much he loved, how he broke the chains of inequality and injustice, how he sets all free, everybody free. No one's left out. We'll receive that for ourselves, and then we will display that to everyone that we can because all are welcome, all are equal, all are essential. Can we pray? Lord, thank you so much for how you love. How you love from the oldest to the youngest, every culture, the sinner, the saint, everyone in between, your love is vast, it is deep, it is wide. Thank you for showing us your love, for modeling such grace, such wisdom. And may we follow in your footsteps, Lord. May we walk as you walked, looking people in the eye with grace and mercy and humility and truth and love. Father, let us not forget that we are who you say we are. And in the name of Jesus, I just ask you to heal every woman in this place from words that have been said to her, that are not how you have defined her. I pray you would cast those memories out and you would fill her with her true identity in you, a daughter of the King, a child of the Most High God, purposed and destined for a beautiful plan as she puts her faith in you. Lord, let us act boldly as your disciples to start the conversation, to be the light, to be the salt, to help, to love, to change the atmosphere of the rooms that we are in with your power and your grace. Have your way in us for the glory of your name and to bring honor to your kingdom so that the lost may be saved. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes.
1: I believe the Holy Spirit has a word for us this morning, for some of you particularly, but for everybody. Testpo notayo azike. Unchuntu campo ha ha ha. Site mokodo aha de leposo. Rum to morta kizing hai. Fonchentopo sulumaha. veda pashote. Know this, this day, my daughter, that the curse is broken. The curse is no more. You shed that thing like you would shed off water on a hot day. You let it fall and you regain it no more. Think on what you have heard this morning and know that you were so dearly loved that you will spend eternity with me, and we will rejoice. We will rejoice around heaven at all that you have learned and received because I have given my love to you from the beginning. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now oh, you remember that. That's his promise to you. There is no curse. You know what, in fact... A lot of people think God cursed Adam and Eve, but really he cursed the snake. God cursed the snake, and what he said was the consequences of sin for Adam and Eve. This, the serpent curses. I mean, the, serp, uh, the, the devil's our enemy. God is just, and he is good, and he is deliverer. And I think that's why Jesus is so amazing and so special, because he came to break the bondage of a sinister evil, and he does it with such kindness and mercy. But he's also the guy on the white horse with king of kings on his thigh, so he's also, <laughs> he's like everything you want him to be and more. Um, well, thank you for coming this morning. I hope that you were blessed. I hope that you enjoyed the ladies next to you. I think these women you're sitting next to are some of the most amazing, precious, victorious, capable, Powerful women on the planet.